This is JFM Podcast. Allahumma taqabbal minna innaka anta as-sami'ul alim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Ya Allah, ya Allah, ya Allah, ya Allah, ya Allah. We are crying unto God that God in mercy will bring them back to us. We are crying unto God even those people that are holding them in the bush and those that are in town controlling them. We are trusting the law that God will frustrate them. Him. He rescued many prophets from danger. He rescued many people from danger. And it is the same God that we are asking to rescue our friends, students, so that their parents will have peace and ease in their mind. What do we want? What do we want? Until everyone is free. When do we want them? When do we want them? When do we want them? Where are they? If the government are not ready to do anything, let them tell us who they are negotiating with. We are ready to, to negotiate the life of our children. If government are not ready to do that, we cannot continue leaving our children in the bush. If it means to face any one of them, we will face him without fear or favor. If we mean for us to die on this course, we will die. Until everyone is free. No one is free. No one is free. Until everyone is free. Do we want them? No. When do we want them? No. How do we want them? What does it cost government to bring out 39 children from the bush? How many days does it cost them? Will it take them to bring out 39 students from the bush? Are they hiding anything? Is there any skeleton in the cupboard? Stay to fear. I can't hide your ayamu. You have to cut the shade of your eyes. Go I don't want the ayamu. We are been praying for this moment, and since they invited us, we are hoping that. Uh, we find they will find a lasting solution to some of this uh, issue and number one number two to also um, get our children back we believe we are here uh, maybe the government have go work beyond our expectation so i hope that we are here they will tell us uh, to we, uh, to receive our children that's what we believe wonderful monday morning to you and you have just heard the voices of parents of the abducted 39 uh, students from the federal college of forestry and mechanization uh, in kaduna state good morning to you and welcome to another brand new day it is a monday the start of the work week and yesterday was palm sunday an annual feast on the christian calendar that uh, marks the transition from Lent into the Holy Week that leads up to Easter. It symbolizes the entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And uh, the Pope, of course, tweeted about this. Good morning to you, Dr. Session. Thank you for being with us this morning. 
Thank, thank you for having me this morning once again. Yes, uh, Dr. Sishon, it's been a while uh, you graced us uh, in our studios here. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm um, talking about uh, what is going on uh, in Kaduna. We'll take a recap of stories from last week. Parents of Kaduna Forestry College meet uh, with state government over efforts to rescue them. The attack also on Benway State Government, uh, it has been of national concern and is still generating uh, a lot of national reactions as well. We also saw uh, during the weekend, Borno State Governor Baba Ganazulum, he's calling for power shift to southern part of the country come 2023. There was some mild drama and ruckus concerning uh, the hijab drama in Kwara schools. And we also saw abduction of airport staff in Jos, just letting us know again that insecurity is real. Now, the parents uh, of the abducted 39 students uh, from the Col Federal College of Forestry staged a peaceful protest expressing concern over the safety of their children 48 hours after issuing an ultimatum to the government and also agencies are uh, also uh, trying to facilitate the immediate release of the students. The parents held a meeting with the state government behind closed doors at the government's house. It's been about two weeks, I believe, and uh, there still is no news of the 39 abducted students of uh, the Federal College of Forestry, Kaduna. And I mean, it's a federal college, yeah, and it belongs to the government, so they must uh, have had a reason for setting it up. Uh, the state government has promised to rescue the victims, and can the people still uh, hope on these promises. Concern also has it that uh, the manner and way the government is handling the matter, uh, the meeting last week Friday with the state government held behind closed doors with heads of security, commission for internal security and home affairs, heads of security agencies of the military, of the DSS. Um, of course, uh, it can be counterproductive uh, to come out with the outcome of that meeting uh, to tell people. Uh, but what do you make of what has been going on so far, Dr. Sishon? Uh, once again, good morning. The security situation in Nigeria, as it is now, is alarming. It is. It has become. It has given us sleepless nights. The truth is, for the fact that it's not happening to us, does not mean it doesn't exist. Now, insecurity has become something that is affecting every facet of life. Call it economic, social life and every other aspect. Now, the bandits, they are in our midst. The criminals are in our midst. The question I keep asking myself is this. What is the essence of government if they are not able to tame the spread of this insecurity? These people are, are Nigerians. These people live in the States. These people are, they are, not, they are not faceless. What is the work of security? Why is government there and they cannot tame this? I mean, why they sworn to oath of office to protect lives and property. But as it is today, part of the challenge is, is that insecurity, when society or government begin to factionalize it, begin to ethnicize it, begin to cause, you know, beginning other indices without looking objectively on what to do part-time and how to go about it, the result is what we are seeing today. Mm. There must be no oh. division among the security people. Government must also be ready to be proactive, to spend money, to spend resources, to train people, to give them ammunition, to track this guy down mm. headlong. Mm. 
No. Otherwise, this insecurity will continue. Now there's a strategy. In the past, they kidnapped people on the road, they kidnapped people in their homes and all of those things. But they have changed the strategy now by going to schools. Mm. Now, the hope of Nigeria now is education. That is the only thing standing. And that's why they, are, they have seen it. the schools. Yes. That's why they are attacking the school. By the time they begin to attack the school, parents will stop sending their children to school. It then means there will be multiplier effects. As at last uh, week, we were looking at about 318 schools closed in the north already. Okay, joining us via phone is uh, Mr. Ken Henshaw, the executive director, We the People. Hello, Mr. Ken Henshaw. Hello, can you well, hear good me? Morning. Good morning to yes, you. I Thank you, you for morning. joining us. Yeah. All the way from Potakot, Bayosa. Which one? I'm not so sure right now. Hello, Ken. Yes, yes, I hear you, but the line is very... Oh, dear. Well, the network hasn't been so friendly lately. Thank you for joining us. We're looking at our insecurity and the problem of abductions right here, especially in the north at the moment. Are you with us? Well, I can't hear most of what you ask, but I guess you're asking about insecurity and the speech of abduction in the north, yes? Yes, that's what we're talking about, and we can hear you clearly on this end. Oh, okay. Um, so... I'll just try and respond. I mean, just imagine what, because half of what you're saying, I'm really not hearing. Could have up is terrible. Well, um, I think it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the state of abduction in the north seems to have, um, to have morphed somewhat. You know, it has changed, it has transformed to the extent that the Okay, that line cuts. We lost uh, Mr. Ken on the phone. We'll try to get him right back again. Well, the network hasn't been so friendly. So back to you, Dr. Station. Yeah. And uh, good for us, of course. You are from, uh, you're a lecturer and a researcher uh, for conflict management and peace studies at the University of Jos. So yes. you must have a lot to say mm -hmm. concerning this conflict and how we can better manage it. I mean, looking at uh, the federal uh, government college, sorry, the federal college of uh, forestry. Yes. And we've been talking about the schools in the north. We know that when it comes to schools, when it comes to education, the North is highly disadvantaged. And here we are having to shut down our schools. And then at the same time, we hear Northern leaders saying, uh, this is uh, trying to usurp Buhari. Uh, this is against 2023. And some people are saying it's just inhumane. This is not what we should be talking about. We should look at the problem for what it is. The North is educationally disadvantaged. The number of out-of-school children now has increased. Uh, another lawmaker was saying uh, we should move to online uh, education, but really how feasible is that at this time? Is it the same students that we saw kidnapped that are, that are going to be going online? They can barely express themselves in English. So you one wonders, you know, what a long way we may have to go. And what do you think about the way? What is a pers per perception about the way the northern leaders have handled the spate of insecurity in the north? And many people always, of course, say we should not. Uh, regionalize it is a national problem but then again even if we say it's a national problem no matter what if we all live in the same neighborhood if your house is on fire you have to start with your house first well it's uh, it's unfortunate that even the northern elites do you know up to now some of them are still playing politics with this i i may both to say that insecurity in the north was created by northern elites they did it in such a way that they didn't know, some of them didn't know it would get to this level. 
They felt they were going to be in office forever. They felt that, you know, they, 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 they were going to be shielded for long because they drive in SUVs and they have uh, security armed men follow them here and there. But it has gone beyond that. Because if they take the if they had taken the issue of insecurity seriously at the beginning, it wouldn't have been like this. I remember during Jonathan, they, some 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 group of people came up to to, to you know to say that uh, the problem was caused by the, the, the former government uh, president uh, Jonathan and uh, the cabinet and all of that, and it was like a gang up. That regime had gone since. But see, what they started is manifesting faces. What we are seeing now, if action is not taken proactively, it's just like an ice bag in the ocean. We, the issue of insecurity in the north has further polarized you know, the north and the south. And like I said, I spoke in another forum and I said, the south should not go to sleep. Because what happened in the north, if they are not proactive, it will still be replicated. For instance, the issue of kidnapping actually was more pronounced uh, in the South. Mm. And the pattern was not like what is happening now. Now, in the South, at that time, they were not kidnapping indigent people. But in the North, indigent people are being kidnapped. They kidnap somebody even demanding for, 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 for the people pay 50000 They release the people to uh, the, 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 the victim to go. So until the, the Northern elites begin to come together and see reasons to tackle this matter headlong, we may not have solution uh, in a moment. Again, there are structural issues. This issue of poverty is very key. Of course, education, the lack of knowledge is there. And addition to that is issue of poverty. Now, insecurity has uh, a multiplier effect on, on education now. Mm. It has increased uh, poverty because people can no longer go to, go to their farms because of bandits, because of uh, Boko Haram, because of other criminal elements that may attack people in, the, in their farms or, or at, at home. So the number of people even going to farm has reduced in some states because of insecurity. Now it boils down to food security. When they don't farm, how do you get food? To eat. Now, somebody, a farmer who is a substance farmer, who feeds his family alone, now cannot go to farm. How does such a person feed his children and himself, pay bills and all of those things, let alone sending his children to school? So, until this issue is addressed holistically, we may not leave this, this scenario in the moment. Again, for instance, the issue in Kwara State, I see it as you know, the government of Kwara State is building more, more division into the system. Mm. Now, children are meant to be in school. Education is one of the uh, unifying factors to bring people together, irrespective of religion, ethnicity, belief system, and whatever. Education is, a, is, is supposed to be unifier. Education is supposed to be something that brings all people together, irrespective of their status and background. In the past, before the, the, the nationalization of school, uh, missionary schools, you know, where uh, government took over the schools mm. owned by missionaries mm. and all of that, people were living together 
Christian Muslim in the same school. We were friends. We, we did things together. We rose together. Many, we are still friends today. You know why? Primary school and secondary school is the, are the best platform to have lifetime friends. Your friends in primary school, they still remain your friends, except you lose contact. Mm. Your friend in secondary school remains your friend, except otherwise. The period you spend at tertiary institutions is just three, four, five years, depending on the course. You, get, you don't get to know yourself as much as those that you started life together. And the government of Kuala State, they are, they are finding the ember of disunity. If a missionary school says they don't want hijab, it has to, to, to be accepted. First, we have been living together with it all this while. There was no division. A missionary school... Muslim go there, mm. there was no issue of uh, hijab. Yes, I remember, I mean, there are so many students, and I know a lot of my colleagues as well, who went to missionary schools, whether they were Christian or Muslim, at some point it just oh, yeah. didn't matter. Oh, yes. They were even proud to be able to, you know, say some prayers or, you know, go with some of the routines that, you know, these religions come with. So I just don't know how this has created such a division that it is such, it's even a national problem now. We're discussing it because of hijab wearing. It's just an intentional thing. Mm. That's the truth. In those days, I also had a, a Muslim school in my community. We'd call it AUD or so. Mm. My cousin, his grandmother was a Muslim. He lived with his grandmother. He attended that school. I attended uh, uh, Miss School. We go to, to his school also to interact, to relate. Nobody cared. The only thing is this. The, the law establishing the school or, or the regulation, one of the regulations is that the prayer in the morning will be prayed in Islamic way. Mm -hmm. And again, they may not be teaching Christian religious knowledge. Yes. In Christian schools, uh, praying in Christian way is, is sacrosanct. Religious, Christian religious knowledge is sacrosanct. And in, in the Christian school, you see Muslims abide by the rules. There was, we had no issue with that. Mm. In fact, my teacher in primary school who taught me Christian religious knowledge was a Muslim. Mm. So at that time, nobody cared your religion. We are talking of education. We are, we are talking of, uh, we are, people are still talking of religion. We are talking of education. Mm. We have to go beyond academics. Education is meant to bring us all parties together. Mm. So it has never been a problem. So why suddenly the issue of hijab? And let me tell you, all these things going on here and there is, is, is affecting the lower class, mm. the poor. Yes, because the rich <laughs> can afford to take their children anywhere they want to for, to, for anything, education, health, whatever. And My here sister, we are. upper class, there are Muslim children in Christian schools all over Nigeria, including Plateau State. Nobody's complaining. I know a staunch Muslim in this town whose students attended Covenant University. Hmm. It's a Christian school. So, another one, Babcock University. Ideology. Nobody I mean, cares. I mean, one would actually wonder, we're talking about unity, unity, we're singing unity all over the place, and yet uh, when it comes to, you know, like hijab wearing in a school, I mean, do you think perhaps uh, this should not have been such a big deal, being that we're looking for ways, no matter what, to unify the country? You see, the, the, the challenge is... Um, I call it indices of underdevelopment. When development sets in, many of these things will be, will, be, will, be, will be overcome. Nothing like, it is where there is no development, you are still talking about religion as a parameter 
for unity. You are still talking about, about, about um, you know, dress code as a parameter. It is because underdevelopment has overtaken us. When we develop, there are, nobody will remember many of these things we are saying. When we develop, we move, we cross the stage. Nobody cares your background. Nobody cares your ethnicity. Nobody cares about your religion. It is what you can offer. It is what you can produce. Even on the plateau, there are Muslims uh, community where we have schools. Mm -hmm. There are Christian teachers there. Mm. Have they complained? Mm. No. These elites are using their offices to rewrite the history of Nigeria. Mm. And the, we must stand against it. Office is transient. They are here today. They will leave tomorrow. But then when they, when they leave office, what will be said about them? We must not, posterity will judge us if we, if we remain like this. We have no reason for us to get you know, into unnecessary violence as a result of dress code. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's check out again. According to the government directive on Thursday, students were not expected to resume on Friday, even though the parents, according uh, to findings, have resolved not to release their students unless their safety is assured. The government in the state issued by the executive chairman of the Kwara State Teaching Service Commission, Malam Bello Tawhid Abubakar, warned of its full wrath on any of the school principals and teachers who refused to resume for duties and so the anxious teachers as early as 8 30 were around in their respective schools to resume duties as directed by the government while the students were nowhere to be found and uh, uh reliably it has been gathered that apart from surulere baptist secondary school whose main gate had been damaged and remained open since uh wednesday last week during the violent clash between the muslims and the christians all the gates of other schools remained under lock and key government officials went around the schools one after the other to break the gates open to enable the teachers entrance into the school premises and uh, Vanguard also gathered that teachers in other churches in order to maintain their stance on their demands and disallowed entrance into the schools locked the school's gates and held on to the keys hmm. well we're, we're hoping for a better resolution and a way forward being that this is an academic environment hello Mr. Ken hello Good morning to you thank you for um, reconnecting with us again the network hasn't been so friendly lately yeah. Okay. Um. Now let's get to other issues that have been in the news too for some time now. Uh, the Senate has come out to say uh, that they will pass that they, they are in a hurry to pass the PIB by April. The President of the Senate, Senator Ahmed Lawan, has said that the National Assembly is in a hurry to pass the Petroleum Industry Bill uh, quarter of this year because Nigeria has a lot of resources following uh, and has a lot has lost a lot of resources. I beg your pardon, following the loss, uh, following the non-passage of the bill. Uh, so, Mr. Ken, uh, let's get uh, to talking now about the PIB. A lot of information needs to be put out there uh, concerning that. So, um, let's look at it now. Some would say that uh, the manner the Niger Delta communities were treated at the state, at uh, the Senate and the House of Representatives public hearing uh, was not okay at all. What can you tell us about that? Because uh, we saw the oil companies were given the opportunity to state their case. The Niger Delta communities seem not to have had uh, so much an opportunity. It even resulted in a ruckus, some kind of fight right there. And so what, what, what do we make from this? Give us some perspective. Thank you so much for having me. I, I hope I'm audible, right? Yes, yes. you are. 
Excellent, excellent. Okay, so um, I, I was personally at the, at the Senate public hearing on the PID. I was also at the House of Representatives public hearing at the PID. I had submitted a memo on behalf of my organization and several other oil producing communities in Niger Delta containing our recommendation for reforms in the petroleum industry bill. And as the members of the public hearing, and one would have expected that everybody would be given equal opportunity to speak. So at the Senate, the first day was dedicated to taking, you know, position documents from the oil companies and from government agencies. They spoke extensively. A company like Shell spoke for 15 minutes. I timed it. 15 whole minutes they spoke. People exhausted themselves. The Senate said that the next day will be dedicated to oil producing communities. The next day, again, oil companies came and spent the entire day speaking. When it was the time of oil, oil producing communities to speak, what the Senate leadership said, that oil producing communities will simply step up to the podium and adopt their memorandum. So it was simply, oh, my name is ABCD, I'm from ABCD community, I hereby adopt my memorandum. No, that was not the same treatment method out of oil companies. So in simple terms, in the Senate and in the House of Representatives, oil producing communities were not allowed to speak. And unfortunately, the media did not carry this part of the story. Mm. The media didn't even talk about this part of the story. All that made the headline was the fact that oil producing communities fought at the House of Representatives. Mm. But what led to the fight? Nobody cares to know. This is what led to the fight. When it got to the turn of oil producing communities to speak, the leadership of the House of Representatives said only one person will speak on behalf of all the oil producing communities. Can you imagine that? All the oil producing communities in Nigeria will be spoken for by one single person. Mm. Why didn't they appoint just one person to speak for all the oil all producing companies, or all the federal government agencies, or all the states. Mm. Now, what this shows, what this shows is the level of disdain, disregard, and disrespect which oil companies and the Nigerian government, including the National Assembly, holds for the people of the Niger Delta region who produce, you know, the resources. And to, to be frank, the issues that need to be addressed in the PID are so pertinent that a lot of us took our time a whole week and resources to travel to Abuja mm. make presentations in the National Assembly. Those issues are that important and that pertinent, right? Mm. And if these issues are not addressed, what we see is a situation where the PIB, in its current state, if it is passed, if it is passed, it could lead to more crisis in the Niger Delta region than it will solve, okay? So mm. I understand that the Senate and the House of Representatives are in a hurry to pass the PIB, but I can tell you this for a fact, that um, no PIB is better than a PIB that takes away the livelihood and the rights of the people of the Niger Delta region. And the PIB in its current state is such a document. It takes away the rights of the people of the Niger Delta region. And it's completely unacceptable. If you have the time, I will go into the nitty-gritty of what is wrong with the current PIB. Okay, let's let's talk about the 2.5% operational cost to host communities. Uh, do you consider this too small? Well, so the first thing we need to do is ask ourselves, what is 2.5% of operational cost of oil companies? That information is not clear. Okay, so is it 2.5% of all the operations of the oil company in the entire country or the share of operations of the oil company in that particular community? Hmm. The sharing quota is totally wrong. Nobody understands what 2.5% uh, of what? They say of operating costs, operational costs, right? OPEX. Hmm. 
what is what do we call operational cost? Is it the, I mean, there's operational cost going on in a, in in Abuja and Lagos, where the oil companies have their their headquarters. Is that to be calculated also? Hmm. Is it operational cost happening at the terminal at the, at the terminal head where the oil has covers? Oil is moved from 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 far away river state and taken to the terminal in Escarvos to be shipped. Does the operational cost go along that route? You understand why I mean? Mm-hmm. These are the issues. We are not clear. The PIB is not clear on what exactly the operational cost is. And something else that is not so clear that nobody has been able to re- reveal is how much, in actual fact, is the operational cost of each oil company uh, in a year. Mm-hmm. In 2020, for example, how much in total was the operational cost? And I can tell you for a fact, that most of this information is shrouded in secrecy. And even the oil producing communities and the oil producing states currently saying, oh, increase it to 5%, increase it to 10%, have no idea what the operational cost is. We are grouping in the dark. And so for us to even begin to have a conversation about 2.5% of OPEX, for us to have a reasonable conversation, we need to first know what does that operational cost cover? What does it entail? One, how much exactly is it in real terms? Now, what we are afraid of is that currently, many oil producing communities in Niger Delta have something called GMOU, mm-hmm. Global Memorandum of Understandings with Oil Companies, which are contracts with oil companies. And we know that there is no way GMOUs will exist, and this host community's trust fund will also exist, Paripaso, at the same time. Mm-hmm. So one has to go. Our fear is that in some communities, the amount of money being spent as GMOU contracts, right, mm-hmm. will 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 be will exceed what they will be now getting as as um, 2.5 percent. That's my contention. I think in many areas, 2.5 2.5 percent will be less than what communities are already getting as GMOU contract. And mm-hmm. so you will have a situation where communities are getting less than what they used to get before, and that will be the conflict. And so right. also is the issue of the of the position of of GMOUs. Mm. What happens to those GMOUs? These are contracts that were signed between communities and oil companies. When the PIB is passed, will GMOUs stop to exist? Mm. If they stop to exist, what happens in what happens in, within the framework of the relationship between the communities and the oil company? Would that lead to a crisis? I mean, this is a contract that was signed between the communities and the companies. And sometimes these contracts are for a period of five years, ten years. What happens then? And these are issues that need to be addressed within the framework of the 2.5% OPEX. Hmm. We also see that the PIB criminalizes communities when it makes them responsible for for the protection of oil facilities. Well, that that, that is true. That is true. So, of course, the host communities component of the the host communities component of the PIB. uh, The PIB says that the communities are responsible for frontline protection of oil facilities. Hmm. Frontline protection of oil facilities. What does that mean, frontline protection? Uh, Now, exactly. So the the, the thing, what that means is that communities are taking over the responsibility of ensuring that there is no sabotage, no puncturing of the pipeline or oil theft. The thinking, the thinking behind, and that's why I say that, unfortunately, the um, the PID criminalizes host communities, and even the Nigerian government criminalizes oil producing communities. The thinking behind that writing is that Niger Delta communities are the ones responsible for oil thefts. Mm-hmm. That's the thinking, and that's wrong. That's wrong. Look, Chatham House, okay, and the World Bank released a report um, a few years ago. 
saying that Nigeria's crude oil was being stolen at an industrial scale. Hmm. It said that between 300,000 and 400,000 barrels of crude oil are stolen from Nigeria every single day. Hmm. 400,000 barrels of crude oil. Are you telling me that locals, people in local riverine communities, hmm. carry jerry can? Can take four hundred thousand barrels. Stealing four hundred thousand barrels in a day—it's not true. You cannot pass the rest. We know that oil theft is a multinational business involving a long array of people, including politicians from all parts of the country, including military officials from all parts of the country, including the navy, including even foreign foreign people, people coming from abroad. In fact, there was a time that the navy arrested a vessel carrying international, you know, foreigners nationals from other countries, from as far away as Europe. These are the people involved in oil theft in Nigeria. And now, we also know that oil theft is being controlled by an armed cartel, well-armed, violent cartel. Hmm. How do you expect, how do you expect unarmed Nigerian communities to protect all facilities against armed criminals? Hmm. How do you expect it? And All right, so are we going to see the bill passed? Mm. Are we going to if see the PIB bill yes, passed right. by April or not, from what you're saying, going forward? Well, I, 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 think, I, I, think, I think the way, from reading from the body language of the, of the, of the government, of the National Assembly, we probably will be seeing a PIB between April and May. Mm. We will be seeing a PIB. But before that PIB is finally passed, mm. Nigerians need to see in a next, a next draft. We need to see a next draft of how much of what the people of the region are saying has gone into the new bill. How much of what the people are saying has gone into the new bill. For us to begin the debate, we need to see all these issues corrected. And there are so many issues, issues around gas flaring, environmental pollution, um, um, the, the governance of the host communities trust, funding of the host communities trust, so many issues. We have written a detailed report on this. All these issues need to be corrected and seem to have been corrected before we pass the PIB. I honestly think that April is too short a time for you to have a decent PIB that addresses the multiferous issues mm. uh, around the PIB. Thank April you so much, uh, Mr. Ken Henshaw. It's better for us to have um, no PIB than to have a PIB that weakens the rights of local communities. All right. Thank you very much. Dr. Session, do you have any thoughts on this uh, PIB bill that is supposed to be uh, passed April this year and uh, saying that uh, the bill is significant to Nigeria because the oil and gas sector must be revived and effective service delivery? Uh, well, uh, I look at the conflict aspect of this bill mm. and he has mentioned it. You don't exonerate the local community from contributing to the bill. Mm. You gave room for, for the comp, uh, oil companies within the Niger Delta and its environs, and you did not give attention to the local community. Now, this is structural now. Mm. If they go ahead to do this without the consent and approval and contribution of local communities, there will be a manifestation in the near future. So they ought to have given them opportunity. They also suffer a lot of things. I've been to Bayesa and some of those creeks for research on this on the spot assessment 2014. I realized that in some communities who were riverine, who were predominantly uh, fishermen, mm. you discover that oil spillage had taken over certain places. Mm. They could no longer uh, fish. 
those with little farmland and all of that, you go there physically, we see it. Oil on the ground. Yes. And the, the farm, farm uh, uh, the plant became stunted. Mm. Now, apart from the hazard aspect effect that. On, on human mm. system, so they cannot, they cannot uh, uh, eliminate them out of the system. They have to contribute because it's their, it's their place. And he talks about frontliner security. They are the first people who should look after those pipelines because it's in their community. They are the one to give information to security people that come and see what is happening here. They are the one to give information to... Giving to, information is one thing. Protecting the, the companies or the pipelines is another thing altogether. It, yes, it is another thing. Okay, let's open the phone lines. Let's hear from you this morning. The program is Let's Talk, 90 places 99 and 90 Hello and good morning. Good morning, very much, Inga, and to your guest, Emeka Imam Kuti from Tamino. All right, Emeka from Tamino. Go ahead. The Minister of Security is the President of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. I know there is a discussion concerning like this. His interest shows the involvement. I mean, he also needs to participate. And concerning the youth, the President is not participating. What? Secondly, you know, as the uh, the communities that have been neglected. It keeps coming back to us. You know, we are just saying this thing. The issue of being one Nigeria is all about the oil in a particular place. When that oil is not there, people are thinking this is one Nigeria will still be a marriage. Well, the government needs to recognize it even in the community. Emeka, you please, can you call us back? Your line is not so clear. I'm not sure uh, we're getting the best of your inputs this morning. 090-988-48848. We have been looking at the challenging insecurity in the country. We have also touched on uh, the Quara imbroglio concerning the hijab wearing and the shutting down of schools. And we are also touching on the PIB. These are all issues that were trending last week. Hello, good morning. Hello. 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 Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Please go right ahead in a minute. speaking from Go ahead. Welcome to get in the house. We should not be beaten up. Something that is nothing should not continue to divide us. This issue of hijab, but let them stop about this nonsense. They are doing the right thing. Nigeria is a self. You know the Muslim doesn't lie. Don't do it. You know what he said. But you know, uh, my daughter is an ADU. I like her using some trousers. You see, know, when I talk, Scotty has become who he said the truth. I don't like my daughter to wear skirt and blouse in the classroom. But I'm not saying that they have been positioned. Students too. Hello? Are you saying we should have uniform for university students as well? 
I want to, what does it mean? Are they not going there? They don't give things from our plenty in the other high classes. What is university? What you are talking about? Discipline of the mind. Sitting down to read and get something. Not going there to show you as a political shoe. Oh, but yeah, Thank you very much. We appreciate your inputs this morning. Well, I do know that certainly uh, students in university are adults, and I believe they should be able to an extent to determine what they wear for themselves and not have. Uh, I mean, I feel more and more, Dr. Session, as though the rights of, um, of students, especially, is being eroded on. Even when you look at student union governments and uh, how they go about uh, you know uh, their, their, their duties or carrying out their duties you see that some way somehow they're being stifled you know children are not allowed to really speak up so to me when you erode all of this right that's why I remember when because I went to a federal university and I remember when those um, uh, private universities came out we could easily tell you know because we felt like they were behaving like secondary school students <laughs> yes they said they had lights out those were things we did in secondary, secondary school and there's school. a time for all of these things and there's a place for them After after a while, you should trust that you've empowered your child enough for them to make certain decisions, even about what they will wear. Then you expect them to be able to make decisions about their lives after that. When you pick their socks, you pick their shoe, you pick everything for them, then suddenly you push them into the world and say, hey, go make the right choices when you wouldn't even let them decide what to wear. I don't know where we're going to with all of this. What? Mr. Ken, are you still with us? Mr. Ken? Okay, thank you. Dr. Seishon, you wanted to say something. Yes, um... You know, the issue of every home has regulations. Mm. Now, the way you rule your home might not be the same way I rule my own home. Now, every university, every school has a rule guiding them. Let me not talk about the act establishing mm. schools. Mm. Now, there are schools, for instance, in the University of Jos. So long you are a law student, they have uniform. Yes. They may not be wearing it every day, but I think I'm aware from Monday to Wednesday. Mm. If you're a mass comm student, they have uniform. Mm. Oh, yes. So if a department within the university says this is what this we is want. This what we want. That's different. Now, for those of us in development studies, you know we have uniform. The uniform is this. If you are going to local community to collect data, mm. you must dress like the local community. There are rules and regulations. For instance, you cannot drink. We don't go if you go with uh, bottled water. Mm. Your bottled water will be in the car. If you cannot be talking to local people and be drinking bottled water and making them feel as though you're not part of them, they feel you are oppressing them. Mm. It's a it's a rule that must abide by. For instance, there is a way there is a way I dress. If I'm going to local communities, I have some old native dress. I wear it, or sometimes jeans, some jeans that are old, you wear it, you look like them. Because if you are too far away from them, you won't get the best out of them. Mm. So it's a rule. So before a child go to a school, parents should know what is obtainable in that school. Mm. If you are, can abide by the rules and regulations in that school, why not? That's it. So th that's why we probably shouldn't see any controversy over the hijab. It has it's no, just co a no controversy. If you are okay with the school or not, you it's just be. the government, the elite that are trying to find the ember of disunity in Kuala State. All right. Let's talk about other matters now. Uh, Governor Otom still in the news, and let's hear what he had to say after the meeting uh, with uh, President Muhammadu Buhari. Let's hear what, after the att attempted assassination on Governor Otom, uh, he met with uh, Muhammadu Buhari in Aso Rock. Let's hear what he had to say. 
We are sitting on a keg of gunpowder. Everybody is not in that in Nigeria today about the security situation. And without security, there can be no meaningful progress. 2023, yes, to a politician is not far, but it's still a long way. If we secure our country and everything is working fine, then we can talk about 2023. But the way things are going, if we don't secure the country, there is no way we can be talking about 2023. That is why I've always dismissed people who come to me to say that you will contest this, you will contest that. For me, I want us as leaders of this country who have taken oath of office, let us abide by those things we have said and work together as a team. Leave politics aside. Leave ethnicity aside. But secure the country in Nigeria. Mr. President did advise when he was condemning the attack on Ming and pleaded with Nigerians that they should not politicize this matter. I want to appeal, I want to beg everyone that we should not politicize the issue of attempted assassination on myself. If a governor is attacked, then it is an attack on all. What benefit do I have to come out and say that I was attacked when it was false? My security agencies, not all of them are from Benue State. You have Fulani people there, you have Hausa, you have Yoruba, you have Igbos who are amongst my security uh, personnel uh, with me and were with me on that day. So what benefit do I have to, I uh, see uh, as mockery, uh, trying to mock me, but I pray that what happened to me should not happen to any other person. What offense have I committed? by ensuring that we maintain the rule of law. Democracy is anchored on the rule of law. So when people come out and are insisting that they will not respect the rule of law, and you want me to uh, keep quiet, I will not. But I won't take laws into my hands. That is one thing. Because I love this country, I've been privileged to serve in various capacities, and for whatever reason, I should do the things. Yes, uh, that is the sound bites from Governor Otom uh, concerning his meeting with the president. Still on security matters, we saw the governor of Benue State, and it's still a major concern generating national reaction. Governor Samuel Otom met with the president, Muhammadu Buhari, at the state house in Abuja, and after the meeting, he told the state house correspondents that the federal government needs to uh, immediately address the insecurity in the country ahead of 2023 general elections. Uh, what do you say, Mr. Ken? Mr. Ken Henshaw? Hello, Mr. Ken Henshaw. Okay, what is your take? Cons oh, go ahead, go ahead. And everybody, everybody is very concerned. And I seem to agree to a large extent with, um, with Mr. Tom. Um, the, the reality is this. The reality and, and the, fact, the fact that in Nigeria... Election cycles never come to an end. It's a cut for, for politicians, it's a full-time job, and the election cycles do not ever come to an end. It is cycle after cycle after cycle and after cycle since, mm. since the year um, 1999. And, and nobody, nobody cares. I mean, most of our time, resources, energy is invested in chasing the next elections and not in ensuring that the current mandate is delivered excellently. Mm. And I agree with whoever uh, contends that there are too many issues in this country that need to be fixed at this point in time before we start speaking about election. 
Mm. The first thing you talked about was the state of kidnapping, um, insecurity and kidnappings happening in the country. Mm. It's exceptional. Nigeria has got the highest number of, of out-of-school children in the world at about 10.5 million. 10.5 million children in Nigeria that should otherwise be in school are currently roaming the streets. They are not in school. That's the highest figure in the entire world. And right now, right now, most of that figure is in northern Nigeria. And what do we say to parents who are trying to send their kids to school when those children in school are the primary target of kidnappers? Or what do we say when a what governor is attacked? Exactly, exactly. Schools are, are now a primary target of bandits, hoodlums, and kidnappers consistently. What are we saying to it? To every effort that has been made in the last few years to improve on school enrollment in Nigeria is being rolled back with these constant attacks. All the efforts that was made in the school feeding program in mm. order to increase enrollment is being rolled back mm. because of these attacks. What you're going to see in the next one or two years as a result of this is that more and more parents are going to withdraw their children from school. And mostly, they're going to withdraw the girl child, the most disadvantaged category. Thank you so much, Mr. Ken. Uh, Dr. Session, let's hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Ken. Let's hear from Dr. Session. Time is uh, against us at this time. Uh, Dr. Um, Mr. Otom, Governor Otom has said that uh, we should not politicize this issue. Uh, what does he mean by that? You know, these are our leaders. Uh, they meet here, they meet there. They are mere cosmetics. They talk, they come out, the situation remains the same. But they should also know that the, the, the issue of insecurity is taking a new dimension because if a governor can be attacked or attempted attack on him, you should know that it has gone beyond the corridor of the masses to the upper class. Hmm. Last year, I think 2020 or 2019, I can't remember again vividly, Deputy Governor Nasra State was on his way to Abuja. I learned that Amroba blocked roads. I think the security people had to come down, you know, you know, to go and dispel uh, those guys in front. A governor, a sitting deputy governor. Now, a whole governor was attacked. We saw Zulum's attacks as Zulum well. Zulum attack. You know, Zulum's attack is a peculiar case hmm. because that side is volatile. The so-called relative environment, relative where we have relative peace, they are also experiencing it. That means they need to you know, be proactive and take this issue of security seriously. It has gone beyond the, 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 the platform of common man now. It's not going to the upper class. We must not handle the issue of security with levity. Hmm. All right, uh, Mr. Ken, when it, when it comes to security in the South-South now, what, what is obtainable? What do we see there? What kind of uh, security issues or problems do you have there? Pirates at sea, I suppose. Yesterday, uh, while we were speaking, you said you were on water moving from, I think, River State to Cross River State or so. Hello, Mr. Ken. Well, um, yes, I'm, I'm right here. Well, the, uh, unfortunately, the way, the way the country functions right now is that... Um, when you hear about the level of insecurity in the northeast and other parts of the country, it seems that there's no insecurity in other parts. I'm telling you um, for a fact, and I'm happy that the that the the, 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 um, uh, the doctor in the studio there with you is um is an expert in peace and conflict. It's important to note that the insecurity, the insecurity in the region in the south south and southeast is sometimes even worse than what you have in the north. And this is the truth. 
It is not documented. Unfortunately, this one do not make a fun headline. I can tell you for a fact that just one day, one day in a community in River State, 48 people were killed in a community in one night. Hmm. Called clash. 48 persons murdered in one night. And that information did not make it to any newspaper whatsoever in the whole of Nigeria. No radio station carried it, no TV station. But if it happened in Borno State, it would be in international media. So the point I'm making is that the level of insecurity is the same in all parts of the country. Mm. The level of kidnapping, armed robbery, you know, brigandage, cross killings and so on. All right. It's, it's, it's the same everywhere. So there's a general problem of insecurity that needs to be addressed holistically. Thank you very much, Mr. Ken. Now, lastly, let's go to Baba Gana Zuluma and his calling for a shift of power to the southern part of the country come 2023. What is your take on that and your last words, Mr. Ken? Well, Unfortunately, again, we are politicizing governments. Development is not the priority. What we should the consideration for who gets power should be track record, merit, performance. What we should be doing right now, which is the eve of 2023, is beginning to examine just how well this government performed and what the gaps are. Any attempt to begin to talk about movement of power from this place or that point should not be coming up at this time. Thank you so much, Mr. Ken. Just one more minute to go now. Sorry to have to cut you short. Uh, Dr. Session, let's hear from you now, your last words. Okay. Well, he has rightly said we we must not politicize the issue of governance. For instance, he has said the presidency should go to the south in 2023. Fine. The question is, when you zone it like that, sometimes credible candidates don't emerge. Mm. Somebody like Zulu with what he has done within this short period, is qualified to run for presidency too. Mm. So but if they are saying that don't go to zone it, I, I pray and people should take caution and ensure that a credible person with a track record should be elected. Not about zoning. Not about All zoning. Right. Now to our feedback handle, Sam Nyam is saying uh, the issue of security, insecurity in the country is getting worse by the day. The government just don't care about the masses. And Dim, Dimas Bala, Nigerian populace have the power to make this country to a standstill until the right thing is done. In fact, we are the problem by allowing us to make us look as if we are nothing. Ajero Ima is saying it's really regret- regrettable having the kind of leaders we're having now. Uh, the issue of insecurity in Nigeria will never come to an end because some of our leaders are benefiting uh, from it for, for their personal interests, says Daos Longs Daos. Thank you all so much. This is what we have for you in the offing this Monday morning. We leave you now with sound bites of Professor Baba Gana Zulum. And uh, keep your dial locked after this news top of the hour reaches you and the midday show with Ogidigbo comes next. I, Professor Babagana Omarazilu, have advocated for power shift to the South. And will continue to do so. And mind you, nobody should think that I'm saying this one because I'm looking for vice president. I don't have any interest. Let the Southerners compete among themselves, be it from the South-South or the South-East or South-South, as far as I'm concerned. This is something that we need to do. The restructuring that people are speaking will never solve the problem. If you structure devolution of powers, give more powers to states, having their state police among others will not solve the problem. The most important thing that we need to do is to see how we can holistically tackle the security situation in the nation. Thank you for listening to JFM Podcast.